0: The Premid Year session number three hundred and fifty-eight. Hello and welcome to the Premied Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the pre Years. Welcome back. If this is not your first time here, if you're a hardcore pre med Years listener, I would love to hear from you. Give me a little shout out on Twitter with the hashtag PMY358. Let me know that you're listening to this episode. If this is your first time here, don't worry. I'm not gonna make you tweet anything. But if you do find value in this episode, I would love for you to share it with a friend, an advisor, a classmate, anyone. Anyone who you see that has a phone, just steal their phone and subscribe. Don't steal it. <laughs> Grab their phone. Subscribe to the podcast and Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you can listen. And uh, let them know about the pre I would encourage you to do that. This week, I want to take a second to thank the amazing community that I have. On Facebook. And I know a lot of people are turning off of Facebook, and Facebook is sketchy, and you shouldn't have Facebook. But you know what? I love Facebook groups. I have a ton of Facebook groups that I'm a part of, both locally in my area where I live and all around the country with podcast groups and pre med groups and, and all of these other things. So I love Facebook groups. And we have a Facebook group specifically for you our pre med hangout, which you can find at medicalschoolhq.net group. Or actually, as I'm recording this, I just paused and went and signed up for premedhangout.com. I don't know why I didn't have that domain, but now I do. I have so many domain names. But anyway, premedhangout.com is the place to go if you want to join an amazing group of collaborative people. Uh, it's, It's a group that I think does an amazing job of Policing itself will get reports if students are getting a little out of hand, maybe a little bit too competitive, a little bit too negative. Uh, I actually deleted someone as I'm recording this. I removed their account today and they reached out immediately going, please like, give me a second chance. I love the group. I don't want to leave. Um, And they're like, I know I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I think a lot of people think being online, you can say whatever you want, but there are consequences. But I did give him a second chance. So uh, I think... If you aren't part of the Hangout, you should. Again, premedhangout.com is the place to go for that. Just request to join, fill out all of those answers there, and you will be approved shortly, hopefully. So let's talk about the Hangout and what I wanna do for today's episode. I just posted in the Hangout, I said, hey, I want to celebrate you all, and to do that, I'm going to do a little Q&A with the Hangout only and get some people some exposure on the Hangout, answer their questions and let you all know if you aren't part of the Hangout again that you should be. So, let's go ahead and jump into our first question here from Melina. She says, "Expand on the disadvantaged essay checkbox of the application. I've never thought of myself as disadvantaged, but when I explained my situation to an admissions committee rep, I was told I definitely qualify. So this is an interesting one. Disadvantaged on the AMCAS application is very vague if you look at the definition of what a disadvantaged student is. Now, the definition kind of centers around Uh, if you were part of a government assistance program like SNAP or or Medicaid or something else like that, uh, or if you're from a medically underserved area, but really the definition is up to you. And so if, if you feel like your life situation was at a disadvantage for any reason, educationally, if you didn't have the same Maybe learning opportunities as other students because you had to start working at 12 years old. Sure, maybe that is an advantage to you, but potentially is a disadvantage for for the purposes of applying to medical school and could potentially help you stand out, even though I hate those words, right? I, I don't want you to try to stand out on an application. I just want you to be you and tell your story. And if part of that is potentially talking about being disadvantaged, then it is good and it doesn't have to be another question here from john who says does the disadvantaged essay checkbox pertain to your current or past situation it's both if if you were raised right if you're 25 now but from from five years old to 15 or five to 10 years old you you had a very disadvantaged time then that definitely counts because any part of your journey that is disadvantaged will affect your future, especially early on when you are, are first being molded into the human being that you are now. So uh, I think a lot of people don't think about the disadvantaged checkbox, the dis- disadvantaged essay enough, and hopefully talking about that, we'll do that now. James asks, is a nursing degree considered non-traditional if we completed the prereqs after we graduated? I I don't really know what the core of the question is because it really doesn't matter. Degrees or if you're a science major, a history major, uh, a a language major, whatever, that that doesn't, non-traditional, traditional, that really isn't part of the equation. really doesn't matter what your degree is as long as you do the prereqs for the schools that you are applying to. Joe asks for non traditional midlife career changers, is publications or are publications and research really good or does it work against? Also, in the application cycle, can you apply for MD, PhD, and later switch to only MD if you change your mind for whatever reason? So, when you are applying to medical school, uh, I'll answer the second question first. Uh, when you're applying MD, PhD, you can apply MD, PhD to some programs and MD only to other programs. It's up to you. Um, I believe once you apply to MD-PhD, that is what you have applied as. Um, and I don't think you can switch to MD only, um, but that's just a guess from, from talking to other students at this point. Um, that's not direct from the horse's mouth, which is what I really like to talk about. Um, so, so do some research on that. And if you do know the answer, if you've done that, Uh, If you've done that research, let me know. I'd be interested to know. For the first question, for non-traditional midlife career changers, are publications and research really good or does it work against? So nothing would really work against you. I'm not sure why you would think it would work against you. If you're applying MB phd then you 1000% need research and hopefully publications. Uh, But if you are applying just MD, you don't have to have research. You 1000% don't need publications. Uh, research is is important to highlight your curiosity and your ability to think critically and, and do all that fun stuff, but you can show that in other ways as well. And Shiva asks, how do you stand out as a, an out-of-state applicant? So again, this is funny. I, I read this. I don't know if subconsciously I saw it earlier when I said I don't like to, to talk about standing out. As an out-of-state applicant, really how you stand out is stellar stats, because that's who the schools are gonna look at. If you look at some of the public in-state schools, they will only accept out-of-state applicants with super stellar uh, stats. And uh, some of those schools will tell you that, right? We only, like, don't even bother. If you're out-of-state, don't bother applying if your MCAT is less than a 514, right? Or whatever their cutoffs are. And I I mentioned 514, because there's one school that that will tell you that, uh, specifically, so. Standing out as an out-of-state applicant, uh, standing out in general, right, is what's important. How do you, uh, how do you stand out in general on, a, on an application? Obviously, stats are important. They're not the only thing. Your story matters, right? I have, I have that shirt now at premedshirts.com. Your story definitely matters. So you tell a good story. If you can highlight why that school very specifically in the secondary applications, if you can talk about your ties to the state to hopefully stand out, that would be helpful. Melissa asks, is there any benefit admissions-wise to do a full-time post or a part-time postback? I've seen some comments that doing a full-time program is better because it is more rigorous and more similar to medical school. My concerns with this is a full-time program allows for a less time to work to pay tuition. LOL. So I, I think you will find probably both. Uh, there, there may be some schools out there that will question why you didn't do it full-time, why you still continued to work. But there will be plenty of schools that will look at your application and and think that you did an amazing job, hopefully. Obviously, the, the goal is to do as well as possible, as close to a 4.0 as possible in a part-time or full-time post back. And there will be schools out there that will be okay with a part-time post Now, if you're only taking one class every semester, then that is a different question as to potentially why you're not doing more, especially if you're using the post to prove your academic abilities. So just be careful there. Steven asks, what do I say to people who tell me if you can't handle the stress of studying for the MCAT, how are you going to handle the stress of being in med school? Uh, I would tell you to shut those people out. Every part of this journey, every part in life, you're going to have doubters. Every part of your life, every part of this journey as a pre-med student, a medical student, a resident, you will have people in your ears telling you that you shouldn't be doing this, that you can't do it, that you're not good enough, that you should do something else, you should settle. It's hard. Studying for the MCAT is hard. It's stressful. It's long. It's grueling. Medical school is really hard, but it's also super fun. And so for those people who are telling you, if you can't handle the MCAT, you should, you're not going to be able to handle the stress of med school, I would tell you to tell them to say, thank you for your advice that I did not ask for. I need to get back to studying now and just move on with your day. There's nothing to say to them. Taylor asks, Nontrad here, how do you explain your struggles in your personal statement without making it sound quote bad or quote wanting pity? I have a pretty interesting story, but don't know how to convey it on paper that the way the reader can fully understand it. So I do have a book on this, right? The Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Personal Statement. I would encourage you to check it out and, and really uh, use that to help you. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to tell your story. I would be careful um, talking about struggles in a personal statement. Depends on why you're trying to bring it up, right? In my book, I talk about red flags and and when to bring them up and when not to and how to do that. But really the core of the personal statement is why do you want to be a doctor? So try to focus on that as much as possible. Our next question from Jennifer, do medical schools typically take into account the applicant's ability to cover tuition in the admissions process? Meaning are they apt to favor affluent families? No, that uh, doesn't and shouldn't come up on your application there is a spot to put your parents' income, but you don't have to answer that if you don't want to. Our next question from Zoe: How can you make sure you are a good fit to a school if their mission statement is super generic? I would keep digging and doing research and potentially reach out to them. It's it's hard, uh, but fit is good. It's a great question to ask because fit of a school is very very important that a lot of students ignore and students. Just look at MCAT and GPA and pick their schools based on that. But it's so much more. Megan asks, how do you deal with knowing you may fail in your journey? You keep going. We all may fail, will fail at some point. It depends on how you define failure. In my mind, defining failure is you give up. Right? You, you're on this journey. You fail organic chemistry. You give up that's failing. If you fail organic chemistry and you retake it and you get a C, that's not failing. That's just a part of the journey. Angie asks top mistakes students make during their pre-med years. Uh, All of them. Go listen to the pre-med years podcast. We talk about all of those mistakes. Uh, If you go listen to last week's episode, that's probably the biggest mistake. Actually, the, the title that I wanted for that episode is the biggest mistake that students make. So go listen to last week's episode, episode 356, I believe. I can't count anymore. Yeah, 357. Uh, no, 356, rather, two weeks ago. Um, our next question from Michaela. What's the best way to balance extracurriculars like volunteering and clinical experience with being a full-time student as well as working? I think the biggest obstacle for students with this question or with volunteering, getting clinical experience with shadowing, the biggest obstacle is students thinking that you have to be a full-time volunteer, a full-time shadower, a full-time clinical person. And really, if you look at time-wise, if you're able to put in two years, getting five hours a month, right? That's 120 hours. So there are plenty of opportunities where you can fit in a Saturday once a week or once every other week or once a month, there's plenty of time to fit it in. You don't have to accumulate 20 hours a week doing all of your extra activities. So I, I think that's the best way to think about it is where can I fit in four hours, five hours a week total versus 20 hours a week total. Melissa asks, is there benefit admissions wise to do full-time post or part-time post So I already answered this one um, as far as full-time post, uh, Post time, part time, post time, a post time part back. Um, I think that's a new thing that we will start here. John asks, does the disadvantaged essay checkbox pertain to your current? I already answered that one. This is I'm flying through these. This is fun. Steven asks, what do I say to people? Oh, man. I think I got, oh, I think I scrolled up. That's the problem. All right. So if I keep going here, um, Taylor says, do you have to work in a clinical job during? your pre-med years? Absolutely not. You do not. Um, there are plenty of great clinical jobs, but you do not have to uh, work in a clinical job during your pre-med years. Do you need clinical experience? You sure do. Uh, Listen to the episode two weeks ago, like I was just mentioning. Is med school having children realistic? Um is med school having children? <laughs> is having children while in medical school or, have a, or going through medical school while having children realistic? It is 1000% realistic. I've covered several episodes of the pre-med years talking to medical student moms. So go check that out. I think I had a medical student dad too on the podcast at one point as well. Robert asks, what if your application appears to have no real faults and you still don't get interviews? Well, then you apply for application renovation at applicationrenovation.com slash apply. And you come on and we'll break down your application and figure it out. Because if it appears it, it has no real faults, then appearances are deceiving. Angeli asks, "What level of competitive application should an Asian applicant build to be considered for in-state and out-of-state schools, considering they have good grades and average ECs?" So I'm not, uh, I am not—I don't play the Asian game versus Caucasian game versus uh, URN game. Uh, URM, for those who aren't familiar with that term, is underrepresented minority or underrepresented in medicine, depending on who you ask. Um, so I don't play that game. I think everyone should have a great Application, I don't think because you're Asian you need a better application, although Harvard may disagree. Devin asks, when a current when in a current cycle should you start preparing to apply for the next if you haven't uh, started hearing back for interviews, et cetera? So typical application timeline, you apply in June, July, May and June uh, for application or for starting medical school the next cycle, if you don't start hearing about interviews by Thanksgiving by by the beginning of December, then I would start being concerned. And Paolo, I think that's how you say that. As a non-traditional career changer in a post back program, what is the best, what is best to focus on in terms of application support, volunteering, research, clinical experience, et cetera, in such a short period of time compared to a full four year, four years of undergrad since primary focus is keeping grades exemplary with potential still a part-time or full-time job taking up valuable time it's hard uh, doing a post and trying to squeeze it all in is hard you potentially may have to take a, a gap year to do the extra stuff if you haven't gotten any clinical experience if you're not doing any shadowing etc you may take an extra year to do that and then apply to build up that resume Here's a fun one. Jackson says, would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Be prepared to defend your answer. Bonus points for empirical evidence. So this is a great, great uh, uh, interview question that I've heard come up. No, no, I've never heard this come up in an interview. This is ridiculous, and I will refuse to answer it. Maybe a bonus episode. Stay, 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 uh, uh, stay until after the music for your answer. Uh, he asks another question, but real talk, how important is shadowing? It's very important. Uh, for those of us who work in a clinical setting full time and have classes, will it harm us not to find shadowing? If so, go uh, to what extent? So shadowing is important. If you work in a clinical setting, it obviously is great, uh, but you're not seeing a full picture. right? It's the same thing nurses who don't shadow. It's a red flag you need to shadow. Now, you don't need a ton of shadowing. Again, going back to the earlier question about like how do you fit it all in? You, you, if you can get five hours of shadowing a month, that's great. And stay tuned for findshadowing.com. We're working, working really hard to get that going uh kathy asks how best can i integrate 25 years of clinic work into my application there's no place to upload my resume well there's an activities section kathy where all of that information will go Kaelin asks, I've heard that nutrition dietetics is often looked down upon as an undergrad degree by med schools slash professional, I guess, schools. Uh, why is this when medicine should be based on preventive health, not preventative? Uh, dietetics still has all the prereq science plus some, and in my school anyway, you needed B or higher to pass, no Cs. Um Side note, I have a 4.0. Seems like these would be great foundation thoughts. So Kaylin, again, it's not the major. Are there some people that maybe look down on it? Maybe, but prereqs are prereqs. My biggest question, if if you're hearing this, is the same reason why nursing, a lot of times, a lot of students get confused thinking, oh, I'm gonna do nursing as a major, a pre-med major, and then I can apply to medical school. A lot of times the science classes, the, the chemistries, the biologies, whatever else that go with nursing, the same thing that may be true with dietetics or nutrition, those science classes aren't the right prereqs. So that's potentially what you are hearing as why it's looked down upon. It's not necessarily the degree that's looked down upon. It's potentially, and again, I'm, this, I'm just guessing, it's potentially the fact that the classes that go with the degree for at your school or any school aren't the right science classes to be considered prereqs. So that's just a thought. Uh, but overall, I I don't know why it would be looked down upon. I, I don't think it should. Uh, having an understanding of nutrition, I think, is very important for physicians. Uh, she asks, uh, how should pre-med students deal with feelings of extreme inadequacy and fear of failing? So I already talked about failing. Inadequacy comes with the territory, right? It's called imposter syndrome. Don't know what that is. Did a great episode with Mama Dr. Jones, uh, Danielle Jones, who's an OBGYN in Texas, uh, all about imposter syndrome. So go check that out. Joe asks, when trying to clean up your grades, how do you know when the right time is to apply? A certain GPA, number of classes, years, etc. So this is hard. If you're a non-traditional student or you're trying to make up for previous bad grades, how do you figure that out? And it's hard, right? The upward trend is very important. I would say that you should at least cross the 3.0 threshold for both science and cumulative GPA. You should cross the 3.0 threshold. Uh, Above and beyond that, I usually, it's probably a year, I I would say, as a general kind of rule of thumb to think about having a year solid of of a solid GPA, that upward trend, uh, and at least that 3.0. Taylor asks, what's what's the best way to pay for MCAT materials or programs? Uh, U.S. dollars is typically the best way to pay for those. Um, credit card, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, right? And then how do you pay for stuff? Uh, if you need to, if the question is how do you save for that information, uh, that's just all about uh, money and finances and How much do you need and when do you need it and how much time do you have to save that much money and you divide and that's how much money you have to save per month. Uh, The the best question is necessarily, do you need that information? You have the MCAT podcast, you have the MCAT cars podcast, go listen to those episodes and, and understand that you don't have to spend a ton of money for your MCAT prep. Melissa asks, is it okay to take online classes, whether a prereq or not? If it is a prereq, the lab would be in person, or should we avoid all online classes? Uh, I would tell you, as a general rule of thumb, avoid online prereqs. Online other classes, great, go ahead, have fun, but online prereqs, even though there are some schools that will accept them, I will tell you to avoid them. Jason, what's the best Thai food you've had? Ooh, I don't know. That's a really, really good question. Um. Uh, I really like a Thai food place around here where I live, but they always get the orders wrong. So we really stopped going to them. Um, I'll have to think about that. That's a good question. (laughs) Zach says, what what does your day-to-day look like as faculty at CU? So uh, at faculty at CU, uh, my day-to-day doesn't look like anything at CU. Uh, I go in when they need me. Uh, when I have time, when I can volunteer, uh, faculty at CU, m- most faculty, it's it, they're all unta- unpaid teaching positions. And so you're a volunteer, you go in when you have free time, and uh, I, I go in and talk for the CU Wilderness Medicine course, and that's usually three, four, five times a year. So it just depends on what's going on and what time I have available for that. If a school, Gabriel asks, if a school has a DO and MD program, is it wise to just choose one of the programs to apply to, or is it okay to apply to both? I would apply to both. Uh, There are only two that I know of, uh, Michigan State, and I'm sure there's more now. There's probably three. Uh, Michigan State and Nova both have uh, MD and DO programs. Uh, I would apply to both. Catherine asks, is it a good idea to apply early admission since you would miss out on the beginning of the admissions process for all other schools? So I should do an episode. Maybe I'll I'll do this episode next, uh, an early decision uh, episode. I I wrote about it a ton in my application book uh, that will hopefully come out next year at some point. Uh, But I do not recommend early decision for most students. It's uh, a risk." And you are right. If you aren't accepted, it's usually the end of September where you are notified of that. Uh, if you aren't accepted, then then you can typically enter the or you can enter the general um, application field, and you're late at that point, or you're later than everyone else who's already submitted and had their applications verified and completed, etc. So I'm not a fan of it. Uh, it's, a, it's a risk. A lot of students think that you can have worse grades and, and do early decision, but you can't, right? You need to be a, a still a very good applicant with uh, stats. Uh, and typically you have to have a very, very, very good reason why you're applying early decision to the program. So just keep that in mind. Caitlin asks, how do people finance applications? Are loans a good option, accruing credit card debt? So a lot of students will... Uh, do 0% credit cards. You can find those that are like 18 months, 0%. Uh, those are a really good option if you can get a high enough credit limit to to afford um, all of the applications, right? If you go to appexpenses.com, it'll have all of that information there as far as uh, an estimate of what applications will cost. Uh, Caitlin uh, just asked that Yasmin asks advice for those overwhelmed with coursework and having a job in the summer during undergrad to finding time to have clinical hours. So we've talked about this a bunch already. Uh, everyone is going to be individual as far as the classes that you're taking, the workload that you have, other family responsibilities, etc. You have to find what works for you. Period. And if that means you work less, great. If it means you can't work less because you you need the money, then it means you take less classes. So everything has to balance out and uh, you have to approach it with the understanding that your grades are important and you don't want to sacrifice that just because you wanted to work and go to school at the same time. So keep that in mind. All right. I will end this episode here. A ton of great questions. This is the the stuff that uh, I love about the pre-med hangouts. All of these students in here asking questions, supporting each other, get some fun memes every now and then. Again, premedhangout.com if you would like to join. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.